regulators. Mount up. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G was on the streets, trying to consume some skirts for the E, so I could get some phones. Rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All of you search know what's up with 213. So I- this episode of the DFS MVP podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. You can play on FanDuel all year long, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, or hockey. Whatever sport you like, you can play it daily on FanDuel. Use promo code 4 for 4 That's 4-F-O-R-4 for a 100% deposit bonus. I can't believe they taken Warren 12. They took my rings. They took my Rolex. I looked at the brother, said, damn, what's next? Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports' most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. It's week 9 already in the NFL. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor. Chris Raybon, joined as always by my co-host, one of my favorite fantasy writers, 4 for 4's, TJ Hernandez. What it do, TJ? What's up, Chris? Um, thank you for calling me one of your favorites. You're not Because we don't have favorite on Twitter anymore, so we just have to use it on the podcast. Oh, yeah. I actually meant I like you. Like, I heart you. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, don't, you can't favor me anymore. That, that's what I really meant. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> We do have a lot to get to today. We got a great podcast for you guys, but I do want to mention the song that played us in was Regulate by Warren G featuring the late, great Nate Dogg, R.I.P. to Nate Dogg, one of the best hook singers of all time, in my opinion. TJ, you're a West Coast guy, so I know you're feeling that one. Yep, I I grew up listening to Warren G, one of, one of my first CDs. Uh, <laughs> for you youngins, CDs are little circle things that had music about 12 songs at a time. Um yeah, actually, I actually saw Warren G a few years ago here in San Diego. He did a little mini, uh, how they do their nightclub spots, about three songs. But it was cool to see Warren G live. Yeah, I've seen him live too. He's he's very he's, good. Yeah, he is good because you can you can understand what he's saying in live, unlike a lot of rappers. I mean, that's that was never a qualification for me. You know, I listen to a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah. I listen to a lot of Future and Young Thug and like uh, okay. a lot of people that you would never understand what they're saying. But no, <laughs> I do. I do enjoy some some Warren G. Was definitely feeling regulate. But um, we have a lot to get to today, guys. Four for four is Joe Hoka, who does an excellent column on the top FanDuel and DraftKings stacks of the week, won a seat to the 4 for 4 championship, so we will have him on shortly to do a brief recap of his winning lineup. I think breaking down the thought process behind lineup construction is always important and very helpful to myself and to all the listeners out there, so we'll get to that in a second. Then we will get right into our Week 9 picks. Of course, we'll have our DFS Theory segment This week, that will be on how to handle late-breaking Sunday morning news, so stay tuned for that. But first things first, before all of that, we had a free DFS subscription giveaway on last week's show. The winner of this week's free 4 for 4 DFS subscription is a Modern Sumo. So Modern Sumo 
Thanks for rating and reviewing the podcast. Please email DFSMVP at 444.com to claim your free DFS subscription. Modern Sumo left a very kind review, and one thing he said was their strategy and techniques really do play out, like stacking players, stacking defenses, and looking for the sleepers. Sleepers with the SH. I love that. We might have to make that a weekly segment. Sleepers. Let's find these segment. Let's let's find these sleepers and get this sh money. But but, um, nah. Thank you very much, Modern Sumo, for rating and reviewing the pod. Congratulations on winning your free DFS subscription. Again, you can contact DFS MVP at four 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 dot com to claim your free subscription. Uh, this week, we will be giving away another free sub. The same rules apply as last week. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes, and a winner will be randomly selected and announced just like last week. If you already have a DFS subscription, you can still win. Instead of winning a DFS subscription, you'll get a free year extension on that subscription. So again, to win a free 4 for 4 DFS subscription, simply go on iTunes, search for DFS MVP, rate and review the pod, and a winner will be randomly selected and announced next week. Now, we have, as I mentioned earlier, 4 for 4's Joe Hoka on the line to discuss his winning lineup in the 4 for 4 championship. So, Joe, congratulations, buddy. How's it going? Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I was close to earning a ticket last week as well, but fell to ninth place after Monday Night Football. So, I was pretty excited to hold on this week. Oh, man. So, two top 10 finishes in two weeks. That's not bad at all. I will get right into your lineup. So, you had Eli Manning. Starting off, 38 points, very good. Justin Forsett, bit of a dud, 7.9. Todd Gurley Strong, 22.1. Odell Beckham in the stack with Eli, scored 35. Julio Jones, uh, very good game for him. Michael Floyd, a nice cheap salary relief that tripled up his salary. Larry Donnell got hurt and only put up 2.7. But then you got Josh Lambeau, 10 points out of him. And the Rams defense with 12 points. The lineup... Scored 172.5 points in all. So, Joe, take us through your process in building this lineup. Where did you start? Who did you put in first? Who did you feel best about, feel worst about, etc.? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, first off, I started by throwing a few entries into this qualifier in week six, but more at a low volume, maybe one or two entries per week. Uh, this past week was kind of an exception for me. As soon as I saw there's that possibility that there's going to be a massive overlay. Um, I think the tournament locked at like 583 people out of 750. So I think it was something like 34% of the field was at minimum going to double their buy-in. So mm-hmm. I went pretty heavy at it this week through eight lineups in, um, ended up cashing in five of them, which I was pretty happy with. Um, my overall tournament strategy um, is to get diversification through my stacks and at least one contrarian play. I tend to fill up the rest of my lineup with uh, some chalk plays for the week that I think have a high ceiling. Uh, I rotate a few of those stacks and contrarian plays that I like through that chalk, and if they hit, I tend to put up a pretty decent score. Um, that might be a conservative strategy, but it seems to work for me. Um, as far as this week, um, the, the lineup, I, I, I started more with those chalk plays like I talked about um, Todd Gurley and Rams defense. Um, two weeks in a row, this has been an extremely high on stack. Um, obviously, that usually has me fading the situation altogether in tournaments. But this week, I thought I'd be able to be contrarian enough elsewhere. So 
I still saw it as a viable option. Gurley was still underpriced, in my opinion, and the Rams were a heavy favorite home against the 49ers team that's struggled mightily on the road this year. Um, Justin Forsett, like you said, uh, wasn't exactly a hit, um, but Baltimore was a home favorite uh, with a team total in the top five, according to Vegas. That paired with the fact that San Diego was leading the league and running back fantasy points against the three weeks previous made four set a pretty high exposure for play for me in, in week eight. Uh, obviously didn't work out, but he did get vultured at the goal line by Flacco with that quarterback sneak. So he could have had a better week. Uh, Julio Jones, uh, great matchup for him. Obviously Tampa Bay has proven they don't have anyone that can slow him down. Um, he's averaged 11 catches for 140 yards and a touchdown in two games against them last year. So that ceiling alone made the price worth it to me for GPPs. Uh, Michael Floyd, uh, this ended up being kind of a higher own play than I thought it would be, especially with John Brown active. Then it turned out John Brown didn't play a single snap, and Floyd actually had a second touchdown called back. So could have been an even bigger day for him as well. Uh, Josh Lambeau, uh, top five game of the week in regards to the point total according to Vegas, minimum price kicker. So, yep, sign me up for him. Uh, my contrarian play uh, was Larry Janelle. Um, it was a bit of a punt play at tight end, admittedly, but he was actually my pivot Sunday morning off of Ladarius Green when Antonio Gates was active. This is uh, one of the only lineups in which I didn't pivot to either Ben Watson or Cockett Gilmore, so that part was a little bit frustrating. Um, the thought process, though, was how Donnell is third at the tight end position in red zone targets this year with eight, and pairing him with my Eli Manning, and Odell Beckham stack, I thought, would give me a little bit more diversification. Uh, speaking of that, Eli Manning, Odell Beckham stack, um, that's clearly where I made up for those misses in this lineup. Again, this game had a top five-point total of the week, according to Vegas, so I was content to have a lot of exposure in this game and loved its potential for a shootout. Um, the Saints defense ranked dead last in our adjusted fantasy points against rankings, and I thought Beckham had the potential to be lower owned than he probably should have been. Uh, Manning ended up being 13.6% owned, uh, Beckham just 10.3% owned. So I was happy with that as I thought Beckham would have a chance of making some big plays. Uh, yeah, they, they clearly carried this lineup, but that's pretty much it. Awesome. Some really, really great points there. I really like your thinking on that. You know, contrarian play is always so important. At least have one or two, and then at the same time, you do want to have a couple of high-value plays in there. Uh, TJ, do you have any thoughts on Joe's lineup or his uh, process? Yeah, I mean, uh, Joe brought up a lot of really good points going over that. Uh, the main things being that uh, he recognized the overlay going into the tournament. Uh, that's really important when you're, especially a tournament of this size where it's not a huge field. Um, you know, I think, Joe, would you say 30, 35% of the field was going to double their money at least? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you recognize that in a in a GPP, uh, you're, you're almost playing a cash game with massive upside. And that uh, kind of emphasizes your point, Joe, about you, you started building around uh, chalk and that's really important thing to note because not every GPP is built the same I mean you know we have this GPP where there's less than 600 uh, contestants that's really different than something like a million uh, millionaire maker where you just need this crazy contrarian lineup like you can build around chalk you can have players that are uh, you know not super unique uh, not individually but you're still building a unique lineup and we saw that in Joe's lineup I mean everybody was over 10% owned except for Larry Donnell and 
the final point uh, is specifically Larry Donnell. Uh, Joe, you, you said you admittedly are kind of punting the position here, and this is the only pivot to Larry Donnell. And although Donnell didn't work, uh, you know, this is a great example of, of a domino effect that one play can have. So you pivoted from uh, Ladarius Green because of the last-minute news uh, to Donnell. They were very similarly priced. Uh, what that did for you is most people pivoted either, like you mentioned, up to someone like um, someone like Bennett or Delaney Walker or Ben Watson, who you brought up, or even further down to uh, to Crocky Gilmore. Uh, you pivoted to Larry Donnell in this lineup. So even though it didn't work, you pivoted to a different price point than most people. That has a domino effect on the rest of your lineup. So you not, you don't have a bunch of unique players, but you have a very unique roster construction. It lets you separate yourself from the field. Uh, one question I do have is you mentioned that you, Michael Floyd was a little higher owned than you expected, probably all of us expected. Uh, was there anything in particular that kept you on Floyd? A lot of people were on him going, going into Sunday, but once, uh, once uh, Brown was announced active, I got off. I, I was kind of off him to begin with, but uh, he it took Floyd completely off my board. Joe, was there anything like in, anything you noticed glaring that kept you on Floyd despite the Brown news? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was definitely off Floyd in cash games at that point, but mm-hmm. I think his touchdown upside alone um, still made him a GPP play for me since we yeah. still weren't sure um, what John Brown's role was going to be. So. I was comfortable. Um, I think I played him in, uh, I think, half my lineups in GPP still just for that top, or that touchdown upside. I think his price point and the targets that he's been getting kind of still made that a valid GPP play. Yeah, that was a good call. Definitely. And I, I believe he roasted Joe Hayden on his touchdown, who has been just getting destroyed. Yeah, I was going to say, who's not doing year. this year, though? Yeah, man. Um, okay, so... That was really great stuff. Joe, um, I really thank you for coming on and breaking down that lineup. It's very helpful to our listeners to get somebody's uh, thought process as they're building a lineup, especially a successful lineup. So, again, Joe, thank you for coming on. And tell the listeners how they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You can find me at Joe Holka, J-O-E-H-O-L-K-A. All right. Thanks a lot, Joe. Uh, Take it easy. Now, let's jump right into some Week 8 takeaways. My first takeaway is something that I've been paying a lot more attention to when trying to employ correlations in my GPP lineups, and that is passing game synergy. What that means is when one passing game goes off, it oftentimes puts pressure on the opposing passing game to go off or to pass a lot to keep up as well. So, When you have your GPP player pool and you're entering multiple lineups, but maybe you're struggling with exactly what combinations to use because the possibilities can be endless once you're talking about even a player pool of, you know, a handful of players at each position. You can pretty much make hundreds and thousands of lineups. So how do you go about deciding which players you actually want to pair up? Well, one thing you can do is to pair up players from opposing passing games. For example, the winning lineups in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker last week and in the FanDuel Sunday Million both had a Breeze stack, but all those lineups also had Odell Beckham. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that was done on purpose, deliberately, because I actually did the exact same thing. All of my 
Breeze stacks, had Beckham in the lineup, all of my Eli stacks, tried to have a Saints player, maybe Ben Watson in there. So um, that was that tends to be a very successful strategy because in GPPs, especially in the passing game, you're you're looking for outliers. And when there's an outlier in terms of passing production on one team, a lot of times that can force the opposing team to throw a ton and that can create situations where your lineup is correlated. And I think that's exactly what happened. And it won people a lot of money last week. I also personally had a lot of luck pairing up Stefan Diggs and Alshon Jeffrey last week. I pretty much played those guys together, didn't play them too much separately because I thought there would be a similar effect, obviously not to the magnitude of the Giants and Saints, but given their price points of Diggs and Jeffrey, that still worked out very well. So that's just something I want you guys to keep in mind when you're deciding how to pair up uh, the players in your player pool into your GPP lineups and kind of get the maximum uh, RO, you know, this the maximum uh, value out of all those different combinations. Something you could do is pair up players in opposing passing games. The second thing I wanted to touch on is something we've talked about off air and something we talk about a lot here at 4 for 4 is tight ends. And it's really difficult to predict tight ends on a weekly basis. They are the most volatile position in fantasy. They're pretty much just as volatile uh, as defenses and even harder to predict because it at defense, usually in a given week, there's a couple of defenses that are just huge favorites that you can pretty much count on to have a high floor. At the tight end position, that's not exactly true. So last week, we saw a few tight ends seeing huge target spikes, namely Jacob Tammy, Heath Miller, and Ben Watson. Now, on the year, 17 tight ends have seen at least 10 targets in a game. But 14 have done it twice. So what that's saying is that once a tight end shows that he can draw heavy volume in a given game, he should be on our Raiders from that point forward. Miller, Watson, and Tammy all had previous 10 target games this season. So if you just knew that and you were going off that, that could have pointed you in the right direction with those guys, especially since they were in the same price range as with Darius Green, who a lot of people moved off of after the news came out, as Joe mentioned earlier, that Antonio Gates was active. And these high-volume games for tight ends, they can come about simply when a team has to pass a lot. When teams are in passing situations, more often than not, a defense will play zone coverage, unless they're blitzing, and zone coverages open up spots for the tight end to get easy catches. So, of course, you'll have your guys like Gronk and Kelsey and Eifert, who are athletic freaks, and they can beat man coverage on any given play. But for the more mortal tight ends, you know, the Tammies and the Heath Millers, those guys can still be very valuable, especially on DraftKings and full PPR, if they can get a high volume of catches and that usually can happen in zone coverage if the quarterback is willing to take those throws. And what I also have noticed is that the veteran quarterbacks will usually take those throws when they're there. So it's no surprise that last week, in regards to Miller, Tammy, and Watson, their quarterbacks were Roethlisberger, Ryan, and Breeze, respectively. So those were two of my takeaways from Week 8. TJ, what about you? What did you learn last week? I mean, my big takeaway was what you talked about first, uh, just the passing game correlations. It's something that we've both talked to each other about, uh, both on the podcast and 
uh, off the pod, just building lineups, talking to each other throughout the week. And it's one of those things where, I mean, this is just an example of, of the evolving DFS game, uh, why, why the puzzle isn't solved yet. When you, when you talk it out and you explain it, it seems so obvious, uh, but it's something that hasn't been heavily implemented in the past. Um, you know, if you look at, at past seasons uh, for football, the the dominant strategy for tournaments is always the the quarterback wide receiver, and you saw that in almost every winning lineup in any qualifier big tournament. Uh, but there wasn't that much of an emphasis on the opposing passing game. It had been talked about a little bit, um, but it's becoming somewhat of a dominant strategy now where going forward, uh, especially because these new tournaments are so top-heavy that you just want those mega correlation plays, uh, that to win these bigger prizes, you're going to want that those opposing passing games where you're just, you know, you need a shootout on both ends to win something against, you know, 500,000 other people in a, in a Millie maker. Uh, so that, that was the big thing for me, and, you know, I think we'll talk about it when we get to our player picks going forward um, on the team level, uh, something that I, that really stood out to me. If anybody knows me, they know I'm a Raiders fan, but at the same time, I'm also one of the biggest Raider haters, especially when it comes to fantasy football. Uh, but you know, we have to start taking this Raiders offense pretty seriously. Uh, you know, they're, they're able to, to score on a very, very good Jets defense. I mean, the, the game did get kind of weird because, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick went out, and that can have a domino effect on both sides of the ball just because the Jets aren't able to move the ball. Um, but uh, Gino actually played half decent. But the, the point is that the, the Raiders are a legit offense. Uh, Derek Carr's spreading it around to you know all of his receivers. Um, you know, Crabtree's getting the red zone targets. Amari's making explosive plays. And then uh, you, got, um, you got the other receivers getting involved, Andre Roberts. Uh, you know he's been scoring. He's been scoring touchdowns all year, and uh, and Latavius Murray's doing his thing. So that that Raiders offense is going to be really good, and we'll talk about them uh, with the picks a little bit. Um, but yeah, those uh, those correlation plays are are super super important, especially when we're talking about these large field top heavy GPPs. Um, but did you want to say something real quick, Chris? Oh no, I was just going to say, um, you know, this is something that even though it it kind of showed itself in week eight, the correlation plays in the passing game. This is not something that, you know, we're just talking about because it happened in week eight. Yeah. Um, This is something that, right. And I've actually been doing research on this and I haven't published it because I've kind of just been doing manual research of literally just going in and counting up the amount of times a team would have a player that scored 25 DraftKings points and then checking, you know, Based on how many players, whether it was one, two, or three players or more in that game uh, that scored 25 DraftKings points, then going and checking Mm -hmm. the opposing team and seeing how many players they had that scored 25. And it turned out that the probability of having a 25-point score or more than one increased dramatically when there's one on the opposing team, at least one, or when there's two on the opposing team, it increases even more. So this this is backed up by numbers. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to publish a study yet because, again, I've just been kind of doing this on my own, uh, not very organized, but hopefully at some <laughs> point during the season or maybe even in the off season, I'll be able to do a full uh, multi-year study and really get some concrete numbers on the magnitude to which it has an effect. But it really is something that has been 
helping me a lot just in terms of lineup construction and deciding who to pair with who. And it, it has been working out uh, very well for me this season in my tournament lineup. So uh, really something to keep in mind uh, for you guys in your tournament lineup construction going forward. But let's go ahead and jump right into the week nine picks. We will start at quarterback. TJ, take it away. Yeah, I mean, I everything... Uh, starts with Tom Brady this week. Um, I mean, the the Patriots are just in a, a phenomenal spot. Brady's price is really high. He's $9,500 on FanDuel. He's $8,500 on DraftKings. So it's really inflated price, um, especially on DraftKings relative to the rest of the pool. Uh, Brady's $1,100 more than Aaron Rodgers, who's the second price quarterback on DraftKings. But it's not enough to uh, deter me from playing Brady this week um, in cash games and tournaments uh, just because there are going to be enough values at other positions, as we'll see uh, as we get into the other positions, that you could probably make Brady, Brady work on both sides. Uh, the Patriots have an implied point total over 33, uh, 33.25, which is the highest of the season. It's actually just the 15th time since the merger that a team has been projected for third, for over 33 points. It's, I mean, it's just a massive number, you know, um, even though there is some discrepancy in Vegas lines, um, they're, they're usually not too far off the league uh, mean. But uh, So this is a huge outlier. But I went back and looked at all these games. There's, Like I said, there have only been 14 previous instances of a team projected for over 33 points. And in those games, uh, teams have averaged a score of 38.1 points per game. So when it is this high, when Vegas is, is throwing a number out there like that, they fully expect it to hit and for that team to even exceed that number and uh the patriots have their their offensive touchdowns have come mostly through the air 71 percent of new england's uh, offensive touchdowns have come via the pass you know so even if they don't hit that number even if they score four touchdowns on offense we can make a rough projection for brady to score three touchdowns just based on the historic offense um so his floors is is very high, probably higher than anyone's this week. And obviously his ceiling is massive against uh, a Washington team that ranks 23rd in adjusted fantasy points um, against uh, quarterbacks. So he's very expensive, but I think you can make him work. Uh, you know, th- there's a big group of quarterbacks that I'm very interested in, and I wrote these guys up before I realized we were even going to talk about correlation plays on the podcast. Uh, but there are two very unique situations this week uh, where they're we, we should and probably will see shootouts with two very, uh, you know, three three pretty good quarterbacks, one rookie quarterback, but all against uh, questionable pass defenses. Uh, we have the Steelers against the Raiders, so we have Big Ben and Derek Carr. Um, Big Ben's $8,300 on FanDuel, 6600 on DraftKings. Carr's $7,000 on FanDuel, 5500 on DraftKings. Um, the the big highlight there is Big Ben on, on DraftKings. He's only $6,600 priced as a ninth quarterback, so that's a pretty big discount uh, considering the, the point total in that game and uh, Pittsburgh's um, implied total. Uh, and then Eli and Jameis Winston, the Giants and the Buccaneers. That game actually has a lot of parallels to the Giants and the Saints last week. We know that the Giants' uh, pass defense isn't bad, but uh, Tampa's equally as bad. We saw that with Julio last week. Joe kind of touched on that going over his lineup. Uh, so we could see another one of those big shootouts, um, another correlation opportunity. Uh, Eli's a really good value on FanDuel at $7,800, and then Jameis is obviously still pretty cheap. 
just because he hasn't been super efficient. He's sixty seven hundred dollars on FanDuel and fifty two hundred dollars on DraftKings. Um, as far as like cash games go, my favorite of that bunch is probably Eli, but all of those guys are really in play. Um, Eli has the, the Giants have a, a point total of twenty twenty five point two five points. Uh, Tampa Bay ranks twenty eighth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, and Tampa Bay is also the only team that has allowed both a completion percentage to quarterbacks over seventy percent and a touchdown rate over seven percent. Uh, that's ridiculously high. So I, I think Eli he's not going to follow it up with another six touchdowns. Uh, but we have seen Eli go on these hot streaks. We have seen Eli and Odell take advantage of really good matchups. Um, so it's not a spot where I'm going to avoid him in cash because I'm afraid of a letdown game. Um, in GPPs, I might just because his ownership percentage is probably going to be very, very high. Um, but pay attention to those two uh, matchups and correlation games like we talked about in the intro. And then just one other guy I want to touch on is Tyrod Taylor. He's probably off a lot of people's radars because he's coming off injury and hasn't played for a couple weeks. Um, but he's priced relatively low um $7,200 on FanDuel $5,300 on DraftKings um he's going to give you a high floor because of his rushing ability uh three of his five games this year he's been over 40 rush yards um and he hasn't had a game under uh 15.46 fantasy points that's both on FanDuel and DraftKings coincidentally he hasn't hit that bonus so his totals have been the same uh but it's not just because of his his rushing ability um that's kind of a we, we don't want to rely on the the rushing ability for our quarterbacks for the floor. We want it to kind of be icing on the cake. And even before uh, Tyrod got injured, he's he's been really efficient, surprisingly. Uh, top three in both completion percentage and touchdown rate. And uh, Miami is – they've been allowing a lot of touchdowns through the air. They're one of just uh, six defenses to allow a touchdown and at least 6% of pass attempts. So if you are punting at quarterback for some reason um, and, you know – you don't like those correlation plays for whatever reason. Tyrod's an okay, cheap option with a pretty high floor. Definitely a sleeper. Sleeper. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's that's. It's funny because these guys are literally exactly who I had on my radar, including Taylor. Like as I was doing my research, I was kind of looking at Big Ben and Carr and Eli and Jameis, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. who else? Like who else is in here? Because I figure all those guys are going to be on everyone's radar. And I came across Taylor, and you know it just—it looks like a good play. Um, his salary is a lot lower than what he's produced up to this point. So uh, the Miami defense—they're going to be without Cameron Wake, which changes yeah. a lot for them. And we don't even know how they're going to come out now because you know they had the coaching change and they mm-hmm. came out really energized, and then they just got completely destroyed by the Patriots and they lost their best defensive player so their morale might be in the tank this might be a game where the Bills are able to come out and just roll over them it's hard to predict these things but I think that's definitely in the realm of possibility so Tyrod Taylor definitely a good play that'll probably be under 5% owned I would think um, this week so great call there yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough week because I mean, as far as cash games, I think you're gonna be really uncomfortable if you don't roster Brady. But there's there are a lot of really um, nice options you could sprinkle throughout and give yourself unique rosters and GPPs. Absolutely. So let's move on to the running back position. The first guy I have written up is Devonte Freeman. Eighty nine hundred on Fanduel, seventy nine hundred on DraftKings. This guy for 
those of you guys who are playing a lot of DFS but haven't got a chance to maybe really watch many of the games or see Devontae run yet, this his performance isn't a fluke. It He is playing legitimately like the best running back in the league. Mm-hmm. There was a a point in last week's game against the Titans. And I know Freeman had a pretty underwhelming fantasy game because he didn't score a touchdown. He still got over 130 yards. But against in that game against the Titans, I was rewatching the broadcast of it. And at one point, you know, with, with most running backs, because when you're watching a broadcast, you can kind of see the holes develop and before the running back does because he's on the field and a whole bunch of bodies are around him. And so you can usually see things in a bird eye, bird's eye view a, a beat before the running back. With Freeman, he was making cuts before you see they, that they were there. And at one point, the sideline reporter in that game, I believe it was Tony Saragusa, just goes, hey, guys, I, I just have to say I haven't seen a running back make these type of cuts since Barry Sanders. And, you know, he was just harping on this, and it, I thought it was so true. Devontae Freeman... Every year, there's a couple of players in the NFL that, from their rookie year to their sophomore year, they just improve a lot. Mm-hmm. Le'Veon Bell was that guy last year. You know, Le'Veon Bell, he was a fine player his rookie year, but he just became one of the best running backs in the league last year. And Devontae Freeman is basically doing that this season. So I know he's gone two games in a row without a touchdown, but I don't want people to, I don't want that to deter people from rostering him because. You're just getting amazing upside with Freeman. He's averaging 27 touches per game as the starter. He has not been held under 130 total yards even once as a starter. So six games, uh, over 130 in every game. He's arguably been the centerpiece of the Falcons offense over Julio, um, but it's really just a one-two punch. It's just a concentrated offense. They're going to Julio and they're going to Freeman, and that's it. They line Freeman up as a receiver outside. They They line him up as a slot receiver. Um, they're doing everything with him. He leads the league in carries inside the opponent's 10-yard line, so those touchdowns should uh, come back into the fold. And the Falcons are 4.5 road favorites going against the 49ers team that will be starting Blaine Gabbard at quarterback. They could be without Carlos Hyde at running back. So the Falcons look to be in for a very high time of possession, which is another plus for Freeman. So that's the first guy on my radar. And then, of course, there's Todd Gurley. Now, Todd Gurley and Freeman on FanDuel, they're pretty much the same price. Gurley's actually $100 more on FanDuel. So Gurley, to me, is more of a DraftKings play. He's mm-hmm. only 6900 on DraftKings, whereas Freeman's about $1,000 higher. So I think if you play on both sites, uh, you can use Freeman in your cash games on FanDuel and Gurley on your cash games on DraftKings to get some nice diversification there. Gurley is averaging 6.1 yards per carry. He's averaging 24 touches a game as a starter. The Vikings have improved on defense a bit since getting eviscerated for 168 yards by Carlos Hyde in week one on Monday night. But they're still allowing 4.4 yards per carry, tied for eighth most in the NFL. Gurley has just great talent and great pick, high ceiling. Only reason I play Freeman over him on FanDuel is because of the same price and I think Gurley is a little more volatile just because last week he had a 71 yard touchdown run he got 13.1 fantasy points just on that one run his other 19 runs went for 62 yards I was reading in pro football focus that the Rams 
offensive line had really negative run blocking grades in mm-hmm. that game. So there's, oh, I guess there's a little bit of risk with Gurley on the road as an underdog. If he doesn't pop a big play, he's still going to get a ton of touches, so you still want him on your team. But just a Freeman, a little less risky, in my opinion, if they're the same price. On DraftKings, where Gurley's $1,000 cheaper, I'm fine with going that way on that site. And then now there's two running backs that we should talk through because they're going to be very popular whether people play them or don't play them. I think they're going to be right in the heart of the decision-making process for everybody this week. The first guy is D'Angelo Williams. He's 6,500 on Fandle, 5,500 on DraftKings. And his Week 9 outlook does have one glaring negative, and that's the fact that the Raiders' run defense has been very good. They're averaging... They're allowing, excuse me, 3.6 yards per carry, which is second best in the league. However, despite their strong run defense, they still rank 16th in FanDuel points against for running backs and 17th in DraftKings points against for running backs. So that strong run defense hasn't necessarily uh, stopped them from giving up fantasy points to running backs. Secondly, Williams saw over 20 touches in both of his games as a starter in weeks one and two, he saw 22 and 24 touches. That's great volume that you're getting for a very low price tag. And the Steelers are still home favorites. They're favored as of this podcast. I believe it's four and a half points. Um, that probably will fluctuate a bit. But either way, the Steelers are home favorites. So home favorites always profile as strong running back play. So you're getting volume, you're getting good game script, you're getting a guy who can catch passes, who's going to be a a part of a really good offense with Ben Roethlisberger there. That increases Williams' touchdown upside because Roethlisberger is a huge upgrade from, say, Landry Jones or Michael Vick. So that's D'Angelo. And then the other guy is Jeremy Lankford. He's probably a bit of an unknown in the fantasy community, He's a fourth-round pick out of Michigan State by the Bears. Ran a 4.4240 yard dash, which is good. Multiple scouting reports have pegged him with a three-down skill set, which is also good. And he's in line to see significant volume as the Bears' starting running back this Monday night against the Chargers. The Chargers rank dead last in yards per carry allowed. They rank dead last in four for fours. Very helpful. Schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. So there's a lot of indicators saying Lankford is also a very strong play. And just like with Freeman and Gurley, we have a discrepancy between Lankford and Williams on one site that we don't have on another. So on F- FanDuel, Lankford, and Lankford is 64, Williams is 65. No, no real difference there. On DraftKings, Williams is 55, Lankford is 4,000. So a bit of a difference there. So that's another situation where if you do decide to roll with Lankford, Probably better idea to go heavier on him on DraftKings. But I think uh, both of those guys are very viable. Just Williams more for the situation and then Lankford for uh, the matchup itself. But I'm very eager to see these guys' ownership percentages in Thursday FanDuel slates because I'm, I'm wondering what the discrepancy is going to be between Williams and Langford, especially on FanDuel where they're the same price, and also the discrepancy between Freeman and Gurley. So that's something I'm going to be looking out for before I ultimately decide exactly how I'm going to construct uh, my tournament lineups. Uh, TJ, what are your feelings on Freeman versus Gurley and Langford versus Williams? I mean, I, I hate to give this 
overly simplistic view um, of running backs uh, when you're comparing the two, but between Williams and Langford, I'd, I'd be more comfortable with Williams in cash games and Langford in GPPs just because you mentioned the the Vegas line in the Steelers game, and we've already seen how the Steelers will use D'Angelo. You know, they'll give him 20-plus mm-hmm. touches. They'll give him the goal line touches. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Langford... I, I do think he'll get the workload, um, but we don't know exactly how they'll utilize him around the goal line, especially because they have a healthy Alshon now because Martellus has a pretty good matchup. Um, we could see the Bears opt to throw near the goal line if and when they do get near the goal line. Um, so that's a very simplistic viewpoint of it, um, but I think I would probably go with your angle that Langford's so much cheaper on DraftKings that if you're going to have exposure to him, uh, that's where I would have exposure to him. It is a unique situation where we have two guys that are probably severely underpriced considering their projected workload this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a very nice opportunity to roster both of them in GPPs, and it might give you a very unique lineup construction, especially especially on FanDuel, where people are probably going to be choosing either or. Um, You can roster both of them, get a huge workload from two running backs, both priced uh, at under $6,500, and that'll open up a lot of stuff elsewhere um, in your your lineup if you wanted to do something like roster Gronk. Um, As far as Gurley and Freeman, I mean, you can't go wrong rostering those guys. I don't think you can fit both of them on FanDuel. They're really expensive, um, but you're not gonna find you're you're not gonna be disappointed rostering those guys. Freeman is getting to that you know, Avion status last year where you can just plug him in and, you know, he's he's he has the highest floor in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't have a problem with either of those guys. Great, great stuff. Uh all right, so just oh and one guy I wanted to mention before you get into wide receivers T J is Doug Martin. On the yep. Bucks, I think he's going to go really under the radar, really low owned because of recency bias. Last week, he had 23 carries, I believe. They went for 71 scoreless yards. Watching that game, he played really well. Again, I believe he is Pro Football Focus's top ranked running back, or he's in the top three. He's been playing really well this season, and just because I know there will be a lot of people thinking. Eli thinking Jameis, thinking Evans, thinking Beckham, thinking all the passing game options in that game. There is also the possibility that Tampa Bay says, hey, Vincent Jackson's banged up. Austin Safarian Jenkins, we don't know if he will play, which, by the way, if he does play, he's another great uh, play at tight end. But if Tampa Bay's passing game is banged up, they might decide that they want to run the ball on the Giants, and the Giants have been very vulnerable in the running game prior to the Saints game. The Saints decided they didn't need to run it on the Giants. But Tampa Bay might think differently, and William, um, Martin excuse me, has been getting 20 touches. I believe it's four games in a row now, 20 or more touches. So that's a very under-the-radar play, especially if you are planning to make some GPP lineups with Giants and Bucks passing game stacks. I think it would be prudent to hedge a bit with some Doug Martin because there's a chance that Tampa Bay just wants to take the air out of the ball and feed Doug Martin. He is capable in the passing game. He can definitely uh, get off in the running game. Uh, They'll use him by the goal line. So Doug Martin, a guy who will probably go really well owned with the other guys we talked about, uh, 
being so discounted in Williams and Langford and then the studs with Freeman and Gurley. Martin's kind of that in-between guy that usually gets overlooked. Yeah, Doug, Doug Martin's a good call. Uh, there's only nine nine running backs in the main slate that have at least 10 touches inside the 10-yard line. Uh, Doug Martin's been the most efficient touchdown scorer touches inside the 10-yard line. He's converted 36.4% of his touches inside the 10 into touchdowns. That's the best rate in the league of running backs with over 10 touches inside the 10. Before we move on, I just want to remind you guys that this week and next week are the last two weeks to qualify for the 4 for 4 football championship on FanDuel. So go to 4for4.com. There is a banner in the bottom right corner of the screen. Click on that. Enter your lineup into the 4 for 4 championship. And again, last two weeks, I'm still looking for my ticket. TJ has his. TJ, take us in the wide receivers. Uh, my my favorite, safest guy of the week is Antonio Brown. He has uh, been Roethlisberger back, especially on DraftKings. His price is still kind of reflecting his production um, without Big Ben. Uh, it's hard to say a guy priced as the fourth wide receiver on a site is, is a discount, but we know that with a healthy Ben, uh, with Antonio Brown on the field, without Le'Veon Bell, that Antonio Brown is, is going to be one of the most targeted wide receivers in the league. Uh, we know the the five catch for 50-yard or a touchdown streak he had going forever. Um, so he's still priced $1,200 below Julio on DraftKings. So like I said, even though he's priced fourth, he's still a, a major discount relative to the top guys. And we know he's in the argument for top one or two every week. Um, on on the same team, I really like Martavis because he you, you get a piece of that passing game at a huge discount. I already mentioned that Le'Veon's out, so that's a huge red zone weapon that they're losing. Uh, Martavis is $6,900 on FanDuel. He's $5,500 on DraftKings. Um, since, since Martavis Bryant's came back, he's accounted for 33% of the Steelers' red zone targets. Um, he's seen at least eight targets in every game since his return. So, you know, we think of, of Martavis as this low-volume, big-play guy, but he's he's been seeing the target volume this year since he has returned. And um, over his his games back, he is the PPR uh, wide receiver seven um, over that span, but he's priced outside the top 20 on both sides. Uh, so, you know, if if you do want a piece of that passing game at a discount, um, I mentioned Big Ben. Obviously, love Antonio Bryant. Martavis is also in play. Sticking in that game, we're just going to keep going through these correlation plays. It's going to be a theme this week, I think. Uh, Michael Crabtree, he's $5,800 on FanDuel. He's $4,900 on DraftKings. Uh, Amari Cooper has been getting all the headlines. He's getting all the pub, and you know, rightfully so. He's he's been balling. He's you know probably going to win Rookie of the Year, him or Gurley. Um, but Crabtree is he's kind of been the silent assassin. He's averaging more targets per game uh, than Cooper. Uh, Crabtree's accounted for twenty two percent of the Raiders' uh, red zone looks, while Cooper has just one red zone target on the year. And Pittsburgh ranks twenty third in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And again, this is a high scoring game. It's an over under of. 48. Um, the Raiders are underdogs, but I expect a shootout, and Crabtree's going to be a big part of that, so I really like him at his uh, discounted price. Another big discount, uh, a guy that's going to hopefully take advantage of uh, injury situations is Stevie Johnson. Um, he's $5,400 on FanDuel, uh, mega discount on DraftKings where he's $3,200 near minimum salary. It's always good to have exposure to the San Diego passing game. Uh, we've spoken 
a lot about our love for Philip Rivers. Um, you know, San Diego's just going to throw a, a, a huge, huge amount of volume in their passing game. Rivers has been one of the most efficient quarterbacks, uh, not just throughout his career, but this season. Uh, with injuries to their passing game, Keenan Allen's out for the year. Uh, Antonio Gates is still de- dealing with that MCL, and then Ladarius Green uh, tweaked his ankle on Sunday. So I, I don't know the status of, of Gates and Green uh, going into this week, but even if they do play, I don't think either of them will be at full strength, so I think Stevie will end up being the de facto number one. Uh, San Diego has a projected point total over 26 points, and if they are going to score, we know that they're going to do it through the air. They don't have much of a running game uh, at all. They've scored um, 91% of their touchdowns via the pass this year. They have 19 passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns. Uh, so, so they're going to they're going to they're going to throw it when they get near the goal line. And I think Stevie's going to be a big part of the passing game this week. Um, if you look at his targets. Uh, this season, uh, he's been active for five games. He has three games over six targets, and then he has a five-target game and a four-target game. But again, he got hurt last week, uh, came back, but I, I don't even know if he had a target after he came back after his injury. Um, but then he left another game early. So, you know, I, I think he's a guy that you can get near men's salary on DraftKings, and you can probably comfortably project for at least eight targets, which is a pretty decent number. And again, Rivers is very efficient. He he puts the ball where his receivers are are going to catch it. You know, he's, Stevie runs those you know those short um, short routes in small space, and and Rivers is really good at making those throws. Uh, Malcolm Floyd's even even if Ladarius or Gates are out, Malcolm Floyd's going to help him stretch the field and leave those those short passes open. So I really like Stevie Johnson this week. Uh, so those are a few, you know, value guys along with A, B at the top that I really like. Chris, do you have any thoughts on wide receivers before we jump into tight ends? Uh, no, man. Those were pretty much the guys that I actually wrote up um, working on my FanDuel cash game write-up. And uh, Antonio, Crabtree, and Stevie were the three guys that I wrote up. So I'm yeah. right with you there. Um, the only other guy I'm thinking about is uh, – Alshon Jeffrey, okay, I think he's yeah. still underpriced on both he sides. Is. Yeah. And um, you know, I I always I'm always wary of when a guy has two big games in a row. It's really tough in the NFL, no matter how good you are, to keep stringing together big games. But yeah. with Alshon Jeffrey, one thing is that I think we are all we still because he's only played in three games so far this year. We still kind of remember him last year and throughout his career when Brandon Marshall was there and when Mark Tressman was there and we got to remember that Marshall is gone and they have a new offensive coordinator and that's Adam Gase and mm-hmm. Adam Gase seems to just be funneling him the ball and it reminds me of the way he used Demarius in yeah. Denver and if Demarius in Denver pretty much was one of the most consistent wide receivers under Adam Gase in the league I believe he had um uh, 12 games out of 16 last year he went over 80 yards so uh Alshon Jeffrey looks to be going down the same path where he's just going to be every week, you know, he might not get into the end zone every week, but I think every week you're going to be able to pencil him in for at least uh, six catches and 80 yards. And he's got tremendous upside, especially if Philip Rivers continues to roll because that's going to put pressure on the Bears passing game in terms of those correlations. That's going to put pressure on the Bears passing game to keep up. 
there, but so that was just the only other guy that really. Yeah, he, Alshon's priced 14th on DraftKings, so that's a pretty big, like relative to the field, um, that's a pretty big discount because we know Alshon has top five upside. And, uh, usually, he probably has top five floor, so that, that's a really, really nice discount on DraftKings. Definitely. So let's go into tight ends this week. TJ, you talked about it with Brady already. So Rob Gronkowski, for those same reasons, top tight end play of the week with the Patriots team total sitting at 33. Gronk has accounted for 35% of Tom Brady's touchdowns this season. So if you think Tom Brady's going to throw three touchdowns, you can pencil Gronk in for at least one. Of course, he has upside for more than that. He's top 90 yards in five of seven games, scored a touchdown in five of seven games, leads the league in tight end receptions per game, tight end yards per game, tight end touchdowns per game. There's not really much to say. There's a bunch of value at other positions this week, running back, wide receiver, quarterback, pretty much every position there's value. So you can create a lot of different lineups with Gronk in there for your tournaments and I suggest you do so. I will be as well. And then another guy, and now this guy is somebody that when I watch him play, I never feel fully comfortable rostering him. But Antonio Gates, he was banged up last week, played about half the snaps, caught four balls for 56 yards, had a 30-yard gain. He he hasn't looked like he's been moving well in years, but he continues to get it done, and Philip Rivers continues to throw at him. Keenan Allen was averaging about eight catches for ninety yards a game. So with him out, you know, I know Stevie. I I love Stevie. Think he's going to pick up a lot of that production, but I think Philip Rivers will continue to look at Gates as long as he suits up. You know, I'm, Gates is not a guy that I worry about if he's questionable and then he plays. As long as he's in the game. I'd count on him for production because Rivers is just going to throw him the ball. He's going to throw him the ball underneath. He's going to throw him the ball in the red zone. Gates has seven red zone targets since he returned. The next highest charger has only three. Gates has been averaging 7.3 catches, 81 yards, and .7 touchdowns per game. So if Gates suits up, I think he's a very viable option. And people may be a little scared off because of the injury status. So that might be a good opportunity to... Get some Gronk arbitrage maybe because Gates has multi-touchdown upside anytime he suits up as well. And then as I mentioned before, and I'm not sure if he's going to play as of now. We're recording this late Wednesday night. But Austin Safarian Jenkins, if he suits up this week, major upside against the Giants defense, ranked 32nd against tight ends in adjusted fantasy points allowed. That is not a coincidence. The Giants don't have good line coverage linebackers. They don't have safeties that cover well. They are very vulnerable over the middle of the field. They may get Prince Amukamara back this week, which for a rookie quarterback, that would just be even more reason to throw over the middle if his tight end was healthy. So definitely keep an eye on ASJ. Very nice price point on both FanDuel and DraftKings. And then Heath Miller as well. Matchup-based GPP play. Miller has a really low floor. Sometimes Ben Roethlisberger just doesn't look to him, but... The Raiders are ranked 31st in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. They have had a lot of issues covering the middle of the field as well and covering the tight end position. So those are some tournament plays that I would have on my radar. Uh, TJ, anything to add there? 
No, I mean, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that Heath Miller had his uh, second double-digit target game of the week of of the year last week. Um, his first one since week one when Ben Roethlisberger was playing and Le'Veon Bell wasn't. Um, so I I don't think that the Le'Veon void um, should be ignored for all the the players in that passing game. And um, Antonio Gates running down the seam like reminds me of of like when Shaq was with the Cavaliers at the end of his career and he's just trying to like run down the floor and then they like pass it to him and somehow you can't guard him or stop him from catching it and he still right. just turns around and scores like it's just slow and painful to watch but it's somehow ugly. it still works yeah it's it's horrific yeah but, but it's it's amazing it works like I learned my lesson I didn't I didn't play him enough. I believe it was his first game back, and I, just watching him, he didn't—he looked sluggish. He—he he didn't look good at yeah. all. But he catched—he caught nine balls and, and a couple of yeah. touchdowns in that he game. He looks so. like he hasn't practiced in two years. Like he just shows up to the game and he's like, "All right, just throw me the ball, and I'm gonna have a cheeseburger on the sideline." Right, and he's not even on steroids anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Yeah, he's, just, he's still putting up numbers. Out, so, you know. yeah, if matter. there's anybody you can trust in in this league. It's the guy who gets off steroids and can still produce. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's Antonio cool. Gates, don't, don't think too hard about it. That's uh, TJ, your favorite position, kicker, who you got? Yeah, I mean, if um, if you're looking for a cheap option, I don't think you need to go any further than the game we've been talking about this whole podcast. Uh, Chris Boswell for the Steelers, he's minimum salary on FanDuel. Uh, we expect this to be a high-scoring game. I've mentioned multiple times that uh, – Pittsburgh's going to be without Le'Veon Bell, so they lost their best goal line weapon. You know, so even though they have Martavis and AB and Heath, um, you know, if they do get it in, you want to be able to run near the goal line in the red zone. If they're unable to do that with D'Angelo, uh, Boswell's going to have some some nice scoring opportunities. I think he's just going to have a lot of scoring opportunities in general. Um, and then if if you want to pay up, if you're looking for a way to make a very unique roster, um, a very you know life hack for DFS. You can just pay for the most expensive kicker and not only is it going to give you a unique roster because people don't want to pay for that position, but it's going to have the domino effect like we talked about earlier. It's going to change the rest of your lineup and give you a very unique roster construction. Uh, Steven Goskowski, nobody's going to have more scoring opportunity than the Patriots this week, so naturally their kicker is going to have the most opportunity. Uh, The Patriots are pretty efficient at scoring touchdowns, um, but you know they're going to be in scoring position a lot. So roster Gakowski and take those points and get a unique roster. Definitely, nothing to really add there. No Lambo, you could always throw in Lambo. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's actually probably probably going to be my go-to guy again. Yeah, because he's only forty-seven hundred. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Always throw in like, Lambo. Yeah, because the charge Rivers just they move the ball so well, but they do it a lot. Like Rivers throws a lot of short passes. So yeah. with that, there's always the opportunity for them to kind of get held up in the red zone. And yeah, if you don't have a running back, you're, no matter how good your passing game is, there's always a chance you're gonna get stymied when you're in, in scoring position. Mm-hmm. So Lambo's right. the dude. Definitely. He used to play soccer. The 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 kicker used to play soccer is like the new tight end used to play basketball. Ah, uh, yeah, very true. Lambo <laughs> was a former soccer player. I do remember that. All right. Uh, all right. Um, defenses. First team I'm looking at is the Jets. They are 4,700 on Fanduel, 3,100 on DraftKings. They predictably struggled last week. It was the whole East Coast team traveling to the West Coast. Historically, 
East Coast teams perform 20% below salary-based expectations when traveling to the West Coast per Fantasy Lab. So that's a nice little nugget to keep in mind. I was going to say, that sounds like a Fantasy Lab stat. Oh, yeah. Love Fantasy <laughs> Labs. Shout out to Fantasy Labs. Shout out to Jonathan Bales. What's up, um, Bales? They, the Jets are in a prime bounce box spot this week, however. The over-under... In Jaguars, Jets is 40. The Jags team total is sitting below 19 points. Blake Bortles has certainly made strides this year with his downfield passing ability. No doubt. Got a lot better in that area. However, he still ranks near the bottom of the league in sacks taken with 19. Intercepts thrown, interceptions excuse me, thrown with 8. And completion rate at 55.7%. So, Blake Bortles still is a prime target by the numbers that we want to target for our defenses. And then the Jaguars rank 31st in defensive schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, which is a very valuable stat that I find, uh, especially for defenses. So that's something to keep in mind there. The Jaguars have been bleeding a ton of points to defenses. The Jets... One of their locker room leaders on defense, David Harris, linebacker, came out last week and really just ripped into the team. They missed 19 tackles last week. They did not play up to their talent level at all. Uh, As you mentioned, against the Raiders, Derek Carr really had a big game. So I really think the Jets will come out very hungry. They've lost two in a row. They really need this game at home against the Jags. I think they will come out uh, with a lot of intensity and they will be able to put up some defensive fantasy points in this one. And then for a salary-saving, sort of a punt play, but probably might end up being one of the top-scoring fantasy defenses this week, is might be a little bit surprising because they gave up 49 points last week, but the New Orleans Saints are 4,200 on FanDuel and 2,200 on DraftKings. Now, being able to deploy a defense at near minimum cost can provide an advantage, in, especially in tournaments, where it can allow you to roster certain combinations of players that the majority of the field will not be able to fit in otherwise, which is what TJ has been alluding to in talking about uh, a domino effect with your roster construction. So this is kind of going the opposite direction where you're paying down at defense and getting some unique roster construction. Now the Titans are last in defensive schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed by a whopping 5.7 points over the next highest team, Jacksonville. So the difference between number 32 Tennessee and number 31 Jacksonville is the same as the difference between number 31 Jacksonville and the third-place team. So that's how bad the Titans have been. Yeah, that's a lot. That is ridiculous. Yeah, that's crazy. It was, it was so crazy that when I saw that, they were actually ranked um, 32nd for the— for the last three weeks on 4 for 4. So you were on them that, I believe it was two weeks ago against Miami. Yeah. You, you were all over that. And then last week, I actually played the Texans defense as my cash game defense. Yeah, that um, I almost did too. Um, the, the only thing I could even think of that even compares to that difference is like two or three years ago. Do you remember how bad the Cardinals were against tight ends? Yes. Like yes. that's how extreme of a di- and people don't think of it because people don't think of defensive like it's it's just not a singular matchup. It's not one player. It's a group versus another group. But that's that's like a massive massive difference. Like that's an amazing stat. I didn't even realize it was that big of a difference. And I look at adjusted fantasy points every day. Yeah, it's it's crazy and. 
again, I think this is one of those plays where recency bias, you know, I mentioned the Saints gave up a ton of points. We all know that. But fantasy defenses don't have to be good to put up fantasy points. Yeah. So that's the whole thing. It, the, the Saints defense doesn't have to be good. The Saints defense merely has to be better than the Titans offense on given plays and force the Titans offense into mistakes, which is very possible because Drew Brees is just rolling. Some people, I've gotten a lot of questions. Oh, Drew Brees just threw for seven touchdowns. Does that mean he's back? Drew Brees was never... He was never gone. He never went He was anywhere. never gone. He had one game where he, he hurt his shoulder and he couldn't throw the ball accurately. And besides that, it's been 300 yards a pop every game. So, you know, I talked about Brees on last week's podcast. I, I mentioned that he's basically been suffering from some negative touchdown luck where he was averaging over 310 yards passing a game. But he was, I believe it was in the outside of the top 20 in touchdowns. And, of course, that regressed in a major way last week. So... Breeze should be able to throw the ball on this Titans team, and if that's going to happen, that's going to mean Mariota, Mettenberger, whoever goes for the Titans is going to have to throw the ball. There might be without Kendall Wright. Uh, there's not a lot going on there for that offense. I know they got the new head coach, but I don't think this is a situation like Miami where they come out and they're just going to roll all over the Saints. I think this is, might be a situation where they're still pretty disorganized. They're still in shambles, and I think the Saints can have another dominant game, and that's going to really help their defense, and um, even the Saints' return game has looked good uh, recently, so that's another uh, bonus there. So Saints' defense, don't hesitate to plug those guys in. They're really cheap. And um, I don't want to spend too much more time because I want to get into our DFS theory segment, so let's just go right into that. It's on what is usually a crazy, hectic time for a lot of NFL DFS players. Sunday mornings, there's always a ton of late-breaking news that can many times, as TJ mentioned earlier, have a domino effect on your lineup and pretty much the entire DFS landscape. So just get right into it, TJ. Start us off. Tell us about your thoughts. How are you dealing with weight-breaking Sunday morning news? Yeah, I mean, this is something that is you know, kind of lit a fire under me this week uh, just because it's had such a, a, a major impact on uh, – on my results this week, and it's not—it's not to say that this is a results-based uh, reaction because it's something I think about every week, and it's—it's it's something that I think is—is is one of my strengths as far as you know what we like call it, you know we always talk about tilting in the industry. I mean, you could tilt before kickoff just in freaking out and taking last-minute information, overreacting. I mean. Uh, guys like you and myself and other industry guys and probably people that are taking time to listen to this pod, like w- we work really hard all week to to come up with uh, to to go through all this research to dig through the numbers to come up with who these value plays are and to take a small nugget of information. It doesn't even have to be an injury. Um, you know, we hear so many things on Sunday morning and overreact to this work you've been doing all week and kind of throw that down the drain. Um, you know, it could be, it's really discouraging when that happens and, um, you, you react in a negative way to it. You know, what happened this week and I wasn't properly prepared because it wasn't on my radar that this was a possibility. I thought Gates was like a for sure sitting this week. That's just what it sounded like. And I had Ladarius Green pretty locked in. Uh, to all my lineups and then you know I wake up eight in the morning my time and see that Gates is active and now I'm scrambling to make these changes and uh, you know where uh, not to tell a bad beat story but um, where it really bit me is I 
like I said, you know, that can have a domino effect on your lineup. Uh, the, the, the salaries were so sensitive compared to the size of my player pool. I had such a small player pool that, you know, even a three, three or $400 difference, uh, at tight end made me change, change a lot of things. And what it made me change was on FanDuel, at least I pivoted from, um, Eli up to Cam who, who, you know, Cam was, you know, the number one cash play on a lot of people's boards. And not to say that I made a horrible play or that, you know, I I had this horrible beat because Eli had a six touchdown game, but going up to uh leading up to Sunday morning, throughout my research, through my write ups, through our podcast, uh Eli was my strongest read of the week. So that should have been the one guy that I didn't pivot off of because he was the guy I felt most strongly about. Um, you know, now sometimes that's not going to work out. Sometimes my research is going to put me on the wrong guy, but the process should be that when we are reacting to this news, that um, it doesn't affect our strongest reads that even, even in the case where Gates is playing, we had no idea that there was even a, a chance he would be playing at the very least. Uh, just take a look at your lineup and, and know which guys you aren't confident in or, or know which guys you're going to pivot off of uh, that you don't feel very strongly about. You know, Don't take your, your top guy of the week and then pivot off him just because your salary moves you know, in, in a certain direction that you didn't expect. That's what I ended up doing, um, and it cost me a lot of money. Uh, so you know, that's just uh, one example of and, – and I don't even think the process was that bad. The results were bad. But, you know, it's not like I react to some horrible news and, you know, switched in some random player on, on just a, a beat writer's report that a backup running back might see more touches. I mean, if Gates is playing, you're obviously not going to start start green in your cash lineups. Um, my problem was I just, I just pivoted off my strongest read of the week, and that's not good process. So, Chris, when you're – which your I didn't get get into my exact process. I mean that's just an example of how it could go wrong. But what are you doing Sunday morning and as far as prepping when there is very relevant information? Uh, how are you reacting to it? Well, the first thing is I'm kind of a I don't even want to say night owl because I'm usually mm-hmm. just up all night on yeah. um, Saturday night going yeah. throughout the kickoff. So one thing for for you guys that either are up all night or you wake up early Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport mm-hmm. on Twitter they usually wake up around 5am and just start tweeting all of the day's news and a lot of t- they're really plugged in so they have team sources so I actually knew that Gates was going to be active or at least that he was probably going to be active uh, pretty early in the morning, so I was able to kind of adjust and have a lot of time to really think everything th- through and adjust, and I think that's important. So do remember, there it is important to be, I, I'm not saying wake up really early, but you know, TJ, you mentioned you woke up around 8. You know, It is important to be up and give yourself at least enough time to, to make some changes to your lineups in the morning. Don't just wake up five, ten minutes before kickoff, or just even don't check your lineup five, ten minutes before kickoffs and check any news then, you know, give yourself some time in the morning to adjust if necessary. And then another thing I, I do is anytime there, you're dealing with questionable players or 
any situation that lacks clarity, it's really good to make contingency lineups. So mm-hmm. there on DraftKings, you can just create lineups. On FanDuel, there are free contests that you can enter where you can just put lineups in there, and then you can export them if need be to your paid contests. But it's really important, I think, to while you're going through your normal process of creating lineups, create a bunch of contingency lineups for anybody that's questionable. Even if that player isn't in your lineup. For example, let's say it was an opposite situation where uh, we we thought there was a, we didn't know that Gates was going to be active. Let's say we thought Gates was it was probably going to play, but then it turned out that he was going to be inactive, and we weren't sure about that. You could have made some contingency lives with Ladarius Green in that case, even if you weren't personally planning on playing Gates or Green, because Green would have been such a great value if Gates hadn't played that you might have wanted to pivot to him. So uh, anytime there's something that could have a great effect on the overall DFS landscape, anytime there's an, a, a situation where if somebody if certain things happen, there would be a great value play to open up. Even if you're not on that guy right now because of the lack of clarity, it would be good to make contingency lineups uh, with that guy in just in case so you're not scrambling on Sunday morning. Scrambling on Sunday morning is the last thing you want to be doing. And then if you get into a situation where you don't have contingency lineups and you're just, you are in a bit of a panic mode, one thing to do is, don't ruin your entire week's research by starting to wing it and, and making a bunch of swaps. What you can do is, in these cases when you, you can't really think straight, you're panicking, you're trying to react to all this news, just, this is a time when maybe you let the numbers do some work for you, where you just, you can go to 4 for 4 and go to the value reports, and our projections are updated to reflect all of the late-breaking news on Sunday morning. You can just go to the value reports and say, okay, this guy is out. Who is the who is the top value at tight end now? Who is the top value in this price range? If you have time, you can generate a lineup with the, with the new player pool and, you know, see th- what the numbers say there. And when when you're in a state of panic, you're not going to make the best decisions uh, when you, when there's too much emotion running through those decisions. So it's best to kind of ground yourself in the numbers in situations like that. Uh, over time, that will probably be a lot better than uh, just kind of winging it. Uh, you might you might make some good choices, but you might not. So especially in your cash games, not the time to really be uh, winging it on Sunday morning. But the best thing is just really be prepared. The information is out there. A uh, bunch of sites, Twitter handles, team beat writers, all giving out news pretty early in the morning Sunday. So if you need the information, it is there. Um, anything else to add, uh, TJ? Yeah, I mean, just one other thing. The the most important thing as far as, as news and scrambling is, like you mentioned, you want to give yourself time uh, to be able to react to this and to react to this in a rational manner. I mean, one one of those things is just experience playing as much you know DFS as possible. The, obviously, with anything, the more times you've done it, the more you've experienced the late news and had to do all these swaps. Um, you know, the more comfortable you're going to be with it. So things like implementing the late swap button uh, or the um, the global swap button on both sides, where you can just swap in one player on all your lineups instead of manually going through. Uh, but also. Just from a you know technical nuts and bolts standpoint, it uh, it highlights the importance of of selecting your games, posting your games, picking up your games, just having all your games entered at a reasonable time rather than. 
picking up head-to-heads or looking for opponents head-to-heads or trying to find GPPs or looking for overlay at you know 9.30 in the morning West Coast time and then news breaks and you don't have all your games entered and now you want to uh, you know now all of a sudden you want to swap out all these guys but you don't have all the games you want to play posted it just becomes a mad dash. You're, you're not going to make good decisions. Uh, you're not going to enter the most profitable games, and it's just going to be a negative effect on your entire week. Uh, so, you know, th- this loosely ties into it. Post your games early. Pick up your games early. Uh, decide what uh, what GPPs you want to play early in the week. Um, you know, you can do it in chunks. You know, the, the way I post games, I'll, I'll post five games at each buying level at a time on FanDuel so that they don't get, you know, scooped by one user. But then Sunday morning rolls around, I have all my games posted. I have all my all my GPPs selected so that when I wake up at 8 in the morning, I don't have to, you know, have this mad dash of both posting and picking up games and um, and making and making player swaps. So just from a technical standpoint, that's another thing you want to consider. Uh, you don't want to get yourself in this in this mad dash on Sunday morning to where you just make these illogical decisions. And sometimes when you do have to, you know, if there is news on one of your major players, it is going to affect your whole lineup. So it, it's not a horrible thing to, you know, say whoever your top guy, Antonio Brown, uh, um, he's, he's announced inactive. You had him locked in all your cash lineups. That's obviously going to have a major impact. Uh, you don't have to, switch out a guy at the same price it's okay to have a completely different lineup mm-hmm. if your thought process is the, is you know logical if you're doing it from with a clear head and realizing that you know i can't just swap to this guy because he's in a horrible matchup for cash games so now i'm going to have to have a completely different lineup uh, so so don't make it a results uh, based process uh, just go through it prepared clear headed and knowing that uh that there's a lot of prep just besides you know going into the week there's reasons that you're researching all week and building these lineups early uh, you want to give yourself a, a bit of a cushion come kickoff time because it can get a little hectic oh yeah no that's that's really great advice i think to enter your games early is great advice that's something that even i have struggled with at times because i'm a lot of times i'm just doing so much and it's just i'm just like yeah i can always enter these games but you really want to get your games entered as early as possible because remember, you can always cancel your entry up until I believe it's, is it 15 minutes? I think it's 15 minutes before kickoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're able to just withdraw entry. So if anything, if you're scrambling on Sunday morning, it's better to be scrambling to withdraw entries because you're not comfortable at a, about a lineup than it is to be scrambling to change lineups and, and get more games. Yeah. And get more, it's That's going to just put you in a bad place. So get your enter your games early you know it's okay if you do if you're if you do want to search for some overlay then you know that's okay you know if if you're if the rest of your games are entered and you know now if nothing else is pressing now you can always find some overlay on sunday morning that's fine but especially with your cash games if you're playing in 50 50s double ups or you're playing head to heads try to get those posted and entered into uh well in advance so you're not really worried about those and you're not really worried about who's in your lineup and those you can just export and and, and make low with swaps and do whatever you have to do um that's really really important because 
one of the biggest advantages to a DFS player, and I think it goes under the radar, is just time. And, you know, I, I know this is why a lot of you guys are probably listening to this podcast for an hour because you don't have a lot of time besides that to really uh, do a lot of research. So we thank you for listening and we're trying to make your lives easier. And one thing I think always having as much as much time as you can to dedicate to, to DFS is always going to help you in the long run because one of your advantages is just going to be if if you had your games entered and posted and, and you had some backup lineups in case things happen, you're going to have a major advantage over a lot of people who are just kind of doing a lot of things last minute and just waking up late on Sunday or, or not checking things till late on Sunday. And that's just going to be an advantage right there. I saw Ladarius Green in a ton of lineups mm-hmm. uh, in my various cash games and tournaments last week. So that just shows that there were a lot of people that weren't quite prepared for what was for the late breaking news on Sunday morning, so you know this was this was just a really good discussion, really helpful, uh, great reminders on 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 ways to just play DFS better. It's not only about what players you're selecting. A lot about a lot of the time, it's just about the process and yeah. how you're going about playing the game. So really great stuff. That about wraps it up for us. And again. Let me repeat, at the top of the show, I mentioned that we will again be doing a giveaway for a free 4 for 4 football DFS subscription. So once again, to win a free 4 for 4 DFS subscription, go on iTunes, search for DFS MVP, rate and review the podcast, and a winner will be chosen at random and announced at the beginning of next week's DFS MVP podcast so thank you again very much for listening to dfs mvp daily fantasy sports most valuable podcast presented by 444 football you can find tj on twitter at tj hernandez and me on twitter at chris raybon good luck in week nine let's get this sh money let's get let's these get sleepers sleepers Let me contemplate I glance in the cut and I see my homie Nate 16 in the clip and one in the hole Nate Dogg is about to make some bodies turn cold Now they dropping and yelling, it's a tad bit late Nate Dogg and Warren G had to regulate